0: Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, April 20th. So many tidbits to break down from a weekend that was jam packed with news from the tennis world. We have the Murray Djokovic pairing making their Instagram debut. So many of these notable tennis characters, tennis personalities, top ranked players turning to social media to provide the content that so many of us tennis fans are desperate for. And again, there were so many different news tidbits to break down. Going to try and run through all of them today. That's going to be the topic we focus on just getting through all of the news to keep all of you listeners informed of what's going on right now in the tennis world. Of course, the reason we're able to do that here at Cracked Rackets each and every day throughout the week is because of our friends at Diadem Sports. And I say it every time, but it really is true. Diadem is helping tennis players across the globe elevate their game by designing the most innovative performance tennis gear on the planet. You know all about their Elevate 98, that pristine aqua blue racket that's going to get the best out of the precision and control. In your game Of course if you need A little bit more pop Turn to that slick All black Nova 100 It'll emphasize The explosive power You're looking for And look uh, They've got the best options To help you take your game To the next level All of their gear Their five different Sets of strings Carefully crafted To accentuate Your specific type Of playing style I mentioned those Five sets of strings I myself Am a man, am a man Of impulse But I could see you Being evolutionary you, you Being flash Being elite X- Beating Being Solstice Power, all of those options are available for you uh, as various string types at Diadem Sports, and of course, if you watch our YouTube channel, you'll see I'm always rocking my Diadem hoodie, it's that comfortable, it's just, you're going to get one and you're never going to take it off, especially in these quarantine times when we all just want to be as comfortable as possible, these sweatshirts, their gear make you, uh, you know, allow you to be as comfortable as you want to be, so, go to their website, DiademSports.com, you use our promo code CR50. You'll get 50% off your order of Diadem gear. So not only are you getting the best equipment in the business, but you're also getting a discount for all of it. So again, diademsports.com, the promo code is CR50. Uh, They are so kind and willing to support us day in, day out. The least we can do is ask you listeners to support them as well. So diademsports.com, the promo code is CR50. Now, Let's get to the news because there is so much news for us to break down. And I think the place we have to start is the fact that, again, these tennis players, these top tier uh, ranked players, these top tier personalities are taking control of their own narrative during this quarantine time period. They're giving us the content we all have been so desperately in need of as tennis fans. And, you know, they're going live, they're turning to Instagram, they're turning to various ATP and WTA uh, channels uh, to. To, in fact, you know, get out there and uh, put out out a public face during this time. And of course, the most notable uh, pairing of the weekend happening at the start of the weekend was Murray and Djokovic coming together for an Instagram live chat. They covered so many different topics, things such as their history and, you know, their personal history, their history of match play, some of the things they are doing right now in their daily lives, how they're training, their different perspectives on various issues relating to tennis and it was fascinating, and of course, for those two in particular, if you don't know the backstory, they've known each other, I think, now since they were 10 or 11 years old. They were born a week apart. They've obviously been competing against each other uh, at the highest stages of the game for so long. Two of the game's great rivals, and it was so clear the amount of respect they have for one another, and, you know, it was just delightful to see these sorts of high-level, intellectual, in-depth conversations that, you know, that we all have questions for Murray, and for Djokovic what are the matches you wish you could win the most what are the tournaments that give you the most difficulties they answered all of that and more they also had a bunch of fun as well I want to start with a clip here from super producer Daniel Westhoff where Murray asks Djokovic how he starts every morning and then Murray offers himself a pretty funny response
1: uh, for first three things you do when you wake up uh,
2: gratitude and yeah. prayer um couple of like long deep breaths hugging my wife
1: if she's okay. still in bed yeah and running to my children nice <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me too much information but i go for a pee uh, <laughs> first thing for me and then i'm yeah getting one of my kids out of bed and then feeding my dogs who are I think they're here. They're here watching. Oh, nice thing. So, yeah, that's what I'm up to in the morning.
0: And then for the record, I think all of us start every morning with a nice pee. So, uh, shout out to you, Andy Murray, for just being candid and honest, setting the tone of this uh, conversation that you had with Novak. And of course, as I mentioned, you know, they talk about their first matchup as well. Andy was a guy who had a bunch of success against Novak early on uh, in their careers, especially in the juniors. And you know look uh Andy doesn't spare any expenses. he's pretty candid about it, and Novak has a nice response for him as well. Westoff ruled the clip
1: do you, do you remember much about when we first when we first played I would have been well what we were like eleven uh yes, I think we were eleven
2: it was france it. Was- my, uh, I think my memories from when we first met each other were probably significantly different from your memories. <laughs> I only, I only remember the score. I don't. Yeah, score. I know, I, I know. That's what I'm saying. You, you, yeah. you, you kicked my ass, man. You, you blew me off the court. I won a yeah. game or two games, I think. Yeah, like
1: six-one, six love, or something like this. And it was on like one of those old school, like it was on a singles court, right? Like no, I remember. Yes. Doing like no doubles lines and stuff. Um, but, yeah, it was in, yeah, in, in France, but, yeah, I don't remember loads about the match, but, yeah,
2: just... Was, uh, was that, that, that was my first international tournament ever. Was that, okay. was, was that
1: your first or you, you played, you played yeah, probably? Better? It would have been one of the first ones, yeah. It would have been, it's, it's a great tournament that's still going just now in, in time. Yes. But, um, yeah, I lost, um, I ended up losing in the final of the tournament, and I, I had a uh, match point, sudden death juice, uh dry volley. Um, to win and I missed it and completely capitulated after I lost the the match point, so. I I think you're forgiven and an 11-year-old
2: drive volley, I think uh, Mm. you were not really expected to make that one a winner. It it can't. I I still can't make it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So those were again. There are so many tidbits you could turn to for this Murray Djokovic conversation. You could talk about Djokovic saying his struggles with the overhead. Murray, his talk about uh, you know why winning the French Open would have meant that much more to him. Uh, you know his struggles against Novak in Australia for Djokovic. Uh, he talks about how much the Olympics meant to him, how much that loss really did hurt him in 2016, and you know why he was looking forward to this year's event or the next. And unfortunately, that it, since it's been postponed. Uh, to the next Olympic event as well. But, you know, Murray and Djokovic weren't the only guys on there this weekend. Of course, Uh There was also Stan and Benoit have been doing their thing. But, you know, for Djokovic in particular, not that we're only going to focus on the big four, as we do every week in our overserved content, which hopefully you are all watching on our YouTube channel. Uh, We highlight all of the comedy from the professional tennis world, all of the notable things that happen on social media uh, as well. But, you know, again, these guys were making news all weekend long. And it was another really fascinating conversation between Djokovic and Stan Wawrinka, this weekend, and you know they had their fun as well. We all, uh, if you haven't seen our overserved episode a couple of weeks ago, it was Stan's birthday, and he celebrated and showed his celebration in quarantine and what that looked like, and it was quite funny. Djokovic asks Wawrinka about that birthday, asks what he does to stay so young, and they have a pretty funny conversation. Westoff ruled that clip now as well. We're ranked
2: between. 200, 250, especially to to 700 or even even mm-hmm. higher, are thinking about leaving tennis right now. You know? Yeah, they because they, they they
3: already don't. barely make a living, so it's it's exactly for, that was my question. Yeah, about it. How yeah. do you because we all tennis fans and everybody start to read things that came out from from yeah. from the top. How do you think? tennis can help those players who barely make a living, but they yeah. like to be 215 in the world in, a ten- in tennis. It's already amazing Yes, and they barely can live right now. So yes. what is the option that can help them to at least survive the coronavirus until we can start to play again?
2: Well, I, let me answer that question uh, from two perspectives. First, short term mm-hmm. and then long term i think short term uh, i i spoke to to roger and rafa a few days ago and we had a long conversation about you know about future near future of tennis what's going to happen how we can uh, contribute and how we can help especially lower ranked guys who are obviously struggling the most of anybody uh because majority of the players who are ranked between whatever 200 and 250 to 700 or thousand don't have federation support don't have sponsors so they they are completely independent and kind of left alone and uh and so um i'm really glad that that uh, that atp um uh, grand slams now uh most likely and players, hopefully, if we all get together, will contribute collectively to the player relief fund yes. that uh, ATP will distribute uh, uh, using uh, certain models of and criteria. Uh, like, mm. for example, I mean, you don't want to, uh, you want to avoid giving money now to a player maybe that fits into this group of, of people that are ranked lower, but doesn't need money uh, yeah. as much as maybe someone else, mm. because...
0: Now, I'm not a wine drinker, but, you know, it does not shock me at all that Stan Wawrinka enjoys a nice, you know, a nice bottle of red to go with his meal. He's, you know, he screams red wine type of guy. And that's not, you know, take that in whatever connotation you want. That's neither a positive nor a negative, but that was not surprising to find out as well. But, you know, from here and again, they talked about other things as well in depth, you know, conversations about Roger, of course, and. Djokovic says, Roger is arguably the greatest of all time, a guy that's liked around the world. I don't expect the crowd to be on my side, and I'm okay with that because it's Roger, and he says it's very similar with Rafa. I think it's more the greatness of them as people than me doing something wrong, and why that quote's notable is because I think we all, with our eye test, just by watching all of the matches they played, listening to the crowds, there's no denying that in more instances than not, Djokovic finds himself in the villain role, and it's interesting to see how that, uh, you know, his perspective on that topic, to see how it does affect him when these crowds cheer so partisanly for Rafa and Roger. You know, the Roger, I think Djokovic can understand, for Rafa, Djokovic is only a year younger, and yeah, Rafa got on tour a little bit earlier and started having success before him, but... Uh, you know, I, it's just interesting to hear the perspective and how it affects him and how he understands it's not an indictment of him, but rather a credit to those other guys as well. And, you know, while is funny he said you were a bit different when you were younger in a movie, you can't have three good characters Djokovic in the first three to five years I was feeling it was me against the world. I was that confident as a young player. He says not anymore. And this is the candidness and again the intellectualism of Novak Djokovic that I think just gets underrated because Roger Federer is the epitome of class, the epitome of grace. You know, Rafa Nadal is the lunch pail, puts his head down, goes to work. Just every you know, no one is visibly works harder than Rafael Nadal on a tennis court and Then there's Djokovic, who's flexible, who moves well. He just makes people uncomfortable. Nothing's too flashy, but everything's just so rock solid. And it's just fascinating to hear. You know, you forget how just intelligent he is and how clear it is that he does think about things like his persona and in comparison with his greatest contemporaries as well uh, that's why these interviews have been so fascinating just to hear these players go behind the scenes and give a give an honest assessment of their thoughts and obviously that's why whenever we can have media opportunities with them it's so greatly cherished at the press conference the media roundtables at these tournaments and you know since we're not going to get that for a while uh, it's great to see these players taking the initiative. It's also great to see, you know, these players ask one another questions. And we've seen so many other players, you know, Kyrgios was a common guy and uh, there've been others as well who pop into these Instagram lives and just throw comments on the side or ask questions. And you can see the comments and, you know, you can see the players always laugh when they see a name they recognize. Um, But it's also great to see, you know, these players ask, these are the things they're wondering about one another. It's very similar questions to what we have as fans. And, you know, when it comes from a peer, a fellow player, you know, when a Murray talks to a Djokovic or a Stan talks to a Djokovic, there's that level of credibility. There's that aspect of, well, we've been through it as well. Here's my perspective on the issue. What's your perspective, Novak? And just the respect there is that much more. And so they're all fascinating conversations. And it's why... Again, when they were making serious news, you know, for Djokovic and Wawrinka, they started talking about the financial impact of the coronavirus and what tennis is trying to do as a sport to mitigate that impact for all of the athletes, particularly the lower ranked athletes. And look, you know, Djokovic, while talking to Wawrinka, says uh, he, he talks about, you know, He's been talking to Federer Nadal about a tennis relief fund. And in short, he would want to raise money from players from the end-of-year bonus pool, which is something we talked about last week, from the Australian Open prize money. And he gave a figure somewhere between 3 and $4.5 and He also talks about using this time period uh, and his long-term hopes uh, that it will help improve the tour for lower-ranked players in the future. And look, uh, it, it's a very dense perspective it's in depth and you know it's it's very interesting it's something we've been talking about for weeks here on the mini break podcast so west off last time roll that clip for us now as well
3: and these guys are uh, that are ranked from 250 onwards they are they are the ones that uh, that make the grassroots of tennis that make the future of tennis and yeah. i feel like I feel we have to be united, we have to uh, support them we have to show them that they are not forgotten that we are there for them. but also I feel we have to send a message to the to the uh, uh, younger generations that are that are taking in consideration to be professional players and to show them that they can live out of tennis yes. even at the times when there is a, a pandemic and there is a financial crisis that they still can, can uh, rely on right. the support of the I top know, guys is. of the ATP as a governing body of mm-hmm. ITF or grand slam so that's short term long term i think that what we did now in a short in a in a short term which is coming together for this cause mm-hmm. i think this is necessary to happen in a long term which is more complicated because as you know there is ITF that is independent entity, International Tennis Federation, and longest standing tennis federation in the history of our sport. Then you have obviously Grand Slams that operate as an independent entities and you have ATP uh, as well. You have WTA. So all of us have to consolidate somehow and come up with a plan and a system that will support, especially the base or the grassroots of tennis which is this lower rank guys uh, both men and women we have to somehow regulate better the the uh, initial levels of professional tennis and and, and allow these uh, players that are starting to play professional tennis to have an easier way of transitioning to the higher levels yes. if you know what i mean because yeah, yeah, yeah. right now, a few years ago, there was a, a, a rule change uh, with the Challengers, the, the mm-hmm. Challenger Tour. Yeah. And the Transition Tour, I don't think that's good, to be honest, because it creates even more separation there. Yes. So there are ways it's not going to be ideal, but I'm glad that at least we're all looking into changing things for better.
0: And actually, John Wertheim was... Uh, who's been on top of this the entire time, uh, who uh, got a copy of the letter that actually Djokovic, Roger, and Rafa sent to their colleagues on Friday outlining the various plans that they have. And here's, you know, I'll read that letter for you now, which all of you, again, can find on SI.com. Novak Djokovic letter outlines proposal for ATP player relief fund. You know, hey guys, wanted to write you regarding financial support to lower-ranked players 250 to 700, the ATP has allocated over one million to this relief fund. They have planned to contribute to players ranked between 150 and 400. Uh, Roger Roth and him spoke, and this is what we propose. We think it's more important to support players 250 to 700. The first 250 qualify for Grand Slams. The participant of qualifications guarantee them a decent amount of money. But and, and again, I'm paraphrasing at parts, but this is the full sentence. Outside of 250 is where the real financial struggle is. Which is expected. He feels they need to get together, help these guys out. You know, they're thinking. He says, "You guys would think about leaving pro tennis if you don't have enough money." And so, they're, they're, those guys aren't supported by federations, by sponsors. And he says, "We need to send the message to the tennis community and the sports world that we care for each other, and especially the future of tennis. They are the grassroots of tennis and base of profe- of professional sport." Here is what they propose for the top one hundred players singles and top two hundred doubles contribute financially to the player relief fund in the following chart 50 through 100 give about five thousand dollars each uh 20 through 50 10,000 or more uh 20 through uh, 10 through 20 15,000 or more players ranked 5 through 10 give 20,000 or more players ranked 1 through 5 give 30,000 each if you're a top one. Twenty doubles player, you try and give five thousand dollars or more. The total amount there would be one million fifty thousand dollars. That, in addition to a similar amount allocated by the ATP, and hopefully Grand Slam soon give five hundred thousand each. It should be in total between four and four and a half million. Their goal is to give ten thousand players to each player ranked two fifty to seven hundred. That would be again about four to four and a half million. The president of the ATP says there's a good chance. Grand Slams will contribute $500,000 each which is good news, and hopefully it happens in the very near future. Additionally, Roger Rafa and I have proposed to the ATP that 50% of prize money of World Tour Finals in London, if it happens, goes to the Player Relief Fund. That would be another sum of money. They don't know if the event will happen, and if it does not, he says we should all contribute significant amount of prize money from Australian Open 2021, not just three of us, but all of the players that are part of the World Tour Finals in London or Australian Open 21. That way it's fair that everyone contributes. And then he says, in terms of lower rank doubles players, we should support them as well. But at the moment, we don't have an idea how much money will be fair and to which amount of player what ranking. Uh, so please do share your thoughts on that as well and propose some ideas. And I do love that. I mean, so, you know, that's he says, guys, I know that everyone is struggling financially in these circumstances. Of course, someone more, someone less. I feel like this is the way for us to show great unity, understanding and compassion for For our fellow players who are trying to make a living or at least not lose money in tennis, please try to recognize this as an example for future generations. God bless you all, and he says again, and I kindly asking everyone to write their views on the group as this matter is very important now as you can imagine how many players are desperately in need for financial help. Uh, Look, What do I think of all of this? Uh, Because I know, again, I apologize for reading that to you. I just think it's important that you get all of the context. A, they're actually attempting to do something about the financial disparity. You have to start there. And you want to nitpick and say, well, why aren't the top players giving more? You know, Novak and Roger and Rafa can afford to give more than $30,000 each at a minimum. Guess what? the total amount they're shooting for is four and a half million dollars. They are trying to give players two hundred and fifty through seven hundred ten thousand dollars each and i 'm not naive. Ten thousand dollars isn 't going to last an entire year it 's not going to make the bank, but for a lot of players that 's more than they 're going to make during a season. That certainly is a start it 's something and he even says, "Look, a later time, if the tour does go on we 're trying to give more money as well to players in the future." But you have to applaud Novak, Roger, and Rafa for coming up with an idea like this, for trying to just do something – to provide relief for the players. And it's organized. Look, from the top down with ATP, their ATP president, they're trying to get contributions from Grand Slams. They're trying to get contributions uh, from the ATP as an organization in general on top of contributions from all of the players. They're making this a collective effort. And for uh, again, there's no union right now. So there is no formal collective process for the players to bargain and negotiate together. But given that... This is what taking the lead looks like. This is what taking a step in the right direction looks like. And I think it has to be applauded. Now, of course, you want to nitpick. You want to, again, say $10,000, that's not nearly enough. What is that going to do? And what about all the doubles players out there? And, you know, you're saying the Grand Slams and ATP is going to give money. What if they don't? And, you know, Novak, Rafa, Roger, you guys have all this money. Are you sure you can't afford to do more? That's your prerogative. If that's the position you want to take, you're right. There's always ways to do more. And as Novak makes clear in this letter, they continue to seek out ways to do more. They continue to seek out new ideas. That's why I think it's so important and so admirable for him to say, so please do share your thoughts on that as well as propose some ideas. You know, grammar's not great, but it's a second language for him. you got to give him some slack. And just, again, more importantly, he's saying, be creative be suggestive just if you have ideas tell us because we want to hear them right now this is our initial step this isn't the final step this isn't the only step this is the initial step and so I do think it's quite admirable for them to be saying uh or for them to just to out for listing this and saying this is our plan moving forward this is what we're doing at a minimum what do you guys think? What else can we do? And again, shout out to John Wertheim for getting a copy of this letter and reporting it on SI.com if you want to read the full context for yourself. Go to Novak, you know, look si.com. Novak Djokovic letter outlines proposal for ATP Player Relief Fund uh, because he he's on top of it, and you know they're really trying to uh, push this and trying to get the four four million dollar pl- uh, package. And you know it's fascinating. Christopher Clary uh, talking about it says interesting part of this is that they're talking about getting ten thousand dollars for relief to each player, which would mean approximately four hundred players, which means going all the way down to five hundred in the rankings, and you know player support is apparently high for this plan, which could also get ATP funding. The WTA is doing something similar, uh, but players want a criteria rule so that they can be sure players who need it most are the ones getting money in that 250 to 700 band, but the ball is still rolling. What is he saying there? Well, what about the Andersons of the world, the Del Potros of the world, the Murrays of the world, guys who have maybe been top 20 for an extended period in the past and are just on the tail end of their career, guys who were at the top of the game and gotten injured and are still working their way back do they need the ten thousand dollars the same way someone who's been grinding at the futures and challengers level does uh no you know that's a really good point there do need to be exceptions there need to be things sculpted out and again This is a fluid product. It's not the end-all, be-all. It's not, you know, they've been very clear that they are open to trying to negotiate to try and make it as beneficial for as many players as possible. But my summary for this is it's a fantastic first step. It's incredibly admirable, and shout-out to the players who deserve, you know, to Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal, who get a bunch of you know, flack, uh, slack, flack I think is the word I'm looking for. They get a bunch of grief because why is there no player union? Well, guess what? The top guys like how much money they're making they like the appearance fees why would they want to give all that up in their pockets but this is them saying no 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 we understand what sort of leadership is needed to meet this sort of moment and they're taking the steps to do just that now last thing on the Djokovic front because I think unfortunately we do have to we do have to talk about this um there were, so he he was talking about um on or i think on live facebook this weekend he was talking with his fellow serbian athletes and they were hypothesizing what it's going to take for the atp tour or wta tour's professional tennis to come back and he was asked about, you know, if you know, what about a vaccine? If there's a vaccine and everyone has to take it and they're immunized, uh, can, will things go back to normal? Will all of the players be agreeing to just be vaccinated, uh, get a compulsory vaccination uh, before they start competing once again? And here's what Djokovic said. Personally, I am opposed to vaccination, and I wouldn't want to be forced by someone to take a vaccine in order to be able to travel. But if it becomes compulsory... What will happen? I will have to make a decision. I have my own thoughts about the matter, and whether those thoughts will change at some point, I don't know. Hypothetically, if the season was to resume in July, August, or September... Though unlikely, and by the way, that's a piece of news right there. Yes, the tour dates right now, July 13th, but do we really think things are going to be ready that soon? Uh, jury is 100% still out, anyways. He says, I understand that a vaccine will become a requirement straight after we are out of strict quarantine, and there is no vaccine uh, yet. Uh, now, you know, what is there to say here? Uh, It's tough because, I'm going to be honest, as a son of a doctor, I believe in science. I believe in vaccination. I get my flu shot every year. You should, too. You know, there's a reason scientists recommend vaccinations. It's because it's been rigorously tested. And look, I am not a science major. I'm not going to speak to the validity of each and every vaccination out there, but as a subject, as a whole— you know scientists have your best interest in mind. I hate to say this there's no international conspiracy there's no hey we 're going to sneak a microchip into the flu shot and we 're just going to try and put a tracking chip on everyone who's dumb enough to get it I hate to t- I hate to ruin this for you spoiler alert that's not how science works. Um, these vaccinations are meant to ensure that populations stay healthy stay safe to ensure things such as coronavirus don 't ruin society for every person for the rest of human time you know vaccinations things such I don't have to go back through it, but things like Jonas Salk and things, you know, do do we really, I'm not relitigating this right now. The point is, I have a respect for vaccinations, for doctors, for scientists who make it their life's work to try and come up for cures for diseases. And when they do, and they recommend that you take something as a result of it to help make sure you don't get said disease, I believe them because that's their job. And in a time like this, in a time when there's so much medical upheaval, in a time where, you know... I don't think he's an anti-vaccination human. I, I I really want to start with this. I don't want to be a joke of it. You know, I'm not defending anti-vaxxers. I think I just made that clear. But I want You have to look into the context of this. A... No vaccination currently exists. B, and I think this is important to point out, Novak Djokovic on his, uh, the Djokovic Foundation, they have, I I think, a, I I forget the term, but you go to Harvard, you study with scientists, and it's not an endowment, it's a, I'm forgetting the term, I apologize, I'm blanking out on what it's called, but when you go to, not a residency, but a I forget. But the point is, you know, I don't think Novak Djokovic here is saying he's anti-vaccination, anti-science. You know, he says, personally, I am opposed to vaccination, and that's tough. It's tough to parse that. But it's also hard to say, hey, like, yes, I, I don't know the medical implications of said of said you know any drug any flu shot any what anything any medical supplement i haven't read the science behind it and i'm not just going to immediately and blindly say yes i'm going to take it now again i'm not defending him especially because i think vaccinations especially in a time like now are absolutely the way we have to go. If there's not a vaccination for something, how are any of us going to feel safe out there? How are any of us going to know that we are not amongst other people who may be contaminated? And that's the the biggest problem with anti-vaccination is it's not about your beliefs. You have the right to believe whatever you want. That's the beauty of this country. Um, But you, you don't have the right to be a public health threat to whomever you want and if you don't want to get vaccinated that's your prerogative but then you expect us to as a society when we have deemed you know scientifically medically that this is a vaccination that keeps all of us safe and you don't want to help keep everyone safe now now you are the risk to everyone else that's the problem with being an anti-vaxxer you it's not about yourself it's about putting everyone else out there at risk and certainly with this coronavirus pandemic putting other people at risk is something we have all become much more well aware of and it's We all obviously try and prevent as frequently, you know, as as much as possible. That's why we're all self-quarantining right now so that we can all stay safe. So, you know, just particularly in a time like this, that, that comment hurts. Now, do I expect Djokovic to walk it back in the next two days? 100%. I will be shocked if there is not something for us to discuss on Tuesday's mini break saying, oh, nope, Djokovic was taken out of context. This is what Djokovic really meant. He meant he didn't know the exact science behind this specific vaccination and the effects of it specifically. Look, again, there's a reason why you see all these commercials for drugs or various prescriptions on TV and they say, warning, you take this drug, XYZ are the side effects. I I really do think Djokovic was trying to say I don't know the side effects yet. I'm hoping, and I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because again, I just did the first 15 minutes on how intelligent he really is. Uh, that that is what he meant, and that the word was part, you know, the phrase was parsed and out of context. But it is concerning. It's not a great look for Novak Djokovic. And by the way, to all of you out there, yes, I've read the Novaks Djokovic jokes. They're pretty funny, but not something I want to joke around about. But, it, and you know, in, in general, but that's, it, it's, that's a good piece of content. So, hey, great shot to the first person who tweeted that out and the millions who followed. Uh, way to follow a trend. Way to build that up because that was pretty funny. Anyways, that's really the big news from uh, the Instagram uh, series, I suppose, that we saw this week and all of the backlash that will come. It's also worth knowing, you know, getting back to the prize money, Jim Courier predicted reduced prize money once tennis resumes, and that's just another thing to keep in line. But, you know, let's move through the rest of the news now because, again, that's like part one of what we're about to get to in terms of part two. I mean, there's a ton of, you know, we're all wondering, when is tennis going to come back? When is it going to be possible for the tours to resume? And if the tours aren't going to resume because of the international nature, something we've explored at depth uh, for a while, what can professional tennis players do in the meantime? What should we expect from you know as fans from all of these different players are we going to get to see them compete at all and it's been fascinating because this weekend a bunch of individual entities came out and said hey we're going to try and host exhibition events we're going to try and host tour players tour matches at this point in time and let me give you the examples of them let's start with the Rafael Nadal Academy which has made its facilities available for ATP and WTA elite players to to quote reside train and compete between themselves in matches That will be televised. And I feel like that's the key point for all of us tennis fans. That will be televised. A statement says, The ATP really liked the idea... And they are considering and evaluating ideas to carry something out in the coming months. Once the ideal circumstances, the global situation uh, arise, the global situation allows it, and the ATP knows its schedule clearly. Now they're not the only ones. And again, these tweets all come from Gaspar Ribeiro Lanca, at Gaspar Lanca, G A S P A R L A N C A, who's writer all year for Racket.com for does the social media for the astral Open. So shout out to him for posting this. But of course, if you want to learn. Learn more about it, you can go check out the Rafael Nadal Academy dot uh, com where they have the circuit, or they have the statement, they say in recent weeks we have made our facilities available to ATP CEO Ad- uh, Adria Gaudenzi with the aim of making the academy a possible venue for holding concentrations of players so that they can train in an environment suitable for high competition although the priority for the ATP is to reestablish the circuit ideas are being evaluated taking into account that the priority is always the physical and mental health of players. But they say the idea came from Rafa himself, who's been the driving force behind the initiative. He says, right now, tennis is the least important thing, and the most important thing is everyone's health. So again, the, the always important disclaimer. But if in the coming months, the academy can help serve other professional players, I am delighted that they can come to train and also to compete. Also, we did not have any upcoming tournaments. I think... That competing with each other will help us maintain the level for when the circuit resumes. And that's another really good point is for a lot of these players, and yes, yeah, some of them have access to private courts, certainly. Um, we've done correct interviews with players who have said just that. But for a lot of them, they probably don't. And tennis is not a priority right now. It's staying safe, staying with their family, hanging out with their family. They probably haven't been with them for this extended period, uh, uh, extended of a period in quite a bit of time, and so they're trying to do that. And look, they, uh, Carlos Costa, who is uh, one of the, I believe, head of business development, talks about why the Rafael Nadal Sports Center has all of the facilities necessary to host something like this, but. You know, it's interesting because they're not the only ones in the work right now. Uh Patrick uh, went uh, announced this weekend that he is trying to launch his own thing. Uh, it's going to be called the Ultimate Tennis Showdown, a brand new tennis tour starting as soon as he says things are possible to start in France. And, Look, he, he was talking about it. He says it's a championship they hope is going to last the whole season and for years to come, and that players will earn points, money, and there will be a champion. It's not a one shot event, and he, he wants it to continue when the tours resume. And, you know, they've already had people to buy in, people like David Goffin and Alexei Paparin, uh, and, you know, who said Alexei Paparin's father, who's one of the head of the tournament, says, We want players to be encouraged to show their emotions. They want coaches on the court. They want interaction with the public. They want to do something completely different, and he says, you know, the event's going to be held at the Mortalou Tennis Academy uh, as soon as the lockdown's over on May 11th. If things are safe that they can continue, Morteloo wants to uh, begin the event. He also, of course, promises strict preventing measures that will be taken during the games to ensure uh, that everyone uh, stays safe. He's made his public project, and he's going to speak to more players, broadcasters, publish the entire casting later on in the week. He goes into all of these things in depth uh, in an interview he does with TennisMajors.com just the highlights real quick uh, when asked why he says we want to make uh, the most of this period and use it as an opportunity to show our vision during five weekends starting from May 16th to 17th 10 players are going to play against each other 50 matches I think so it's uh, 50 matches over 5 weekends, that means 10 a weekend there will be 10 top players and they don't have them all locked in uh, they didn't want the pl- project to leak but they are starting to find that now they said this is not a one shot uh, You know, after that 50 matches they're going to sit down see what people enjoyed, they disliked and adapt because they don't want it to be a one uh, shot one shot, they want it to be a championship that's going to last for years to come and that's fascinating obviously for so many different reasons and you know, he emphasizes again the last thing they want is for people to get sick but they want it to be different they want to appeal to a younger fan base they want to uh ensure that you know everyone stays safe but that it's it'll be a slightly different product a more relaxed product and of course there are still plenty of more details to come from that but if you want to learn about it go to tennismajors.com i think i retweeted the clip it uh christopher clary posted the interview initially so go look out for that there's also, again, uh, according to the Telegraph, uh, their exhibition tennis set to return as well in Germany uh, as the German Federation, I believe, hosts, uh, is attempting to host their own uh, sort of a trial tournament run such as this. And, you know, again, as more details continue to come out, we will try and keep all of you updated, but... You know they're not the. Only, they're going to try and play 32 matches across four days in the Rhineland uh, as soon as things are safe, safe and healthy. So it's clear people are now getting you know as things slowly, and we're nowhere near there yet. And I think that's the thing to emphasize across all of these messages: is no one is saying we are there quite yet. But contingency plans are underworks. People are trying to find a way to incorporate, obviously, you know, everything from the normal life, but also try and get tennis back going again across the globe. It's interesting to monitor. And of course, we will be doing just that now. What's also interesting is it's an unsanctioned event. It, these aren't going to be ATP tournament, you know, tournaments. And so there's an unofficial nature to them and with that like with any sporting event comes gambling concerns and the integrity of it because of course you know bookies and you know all the big uh, gambling agencies are going to want to place money on these events it's a live sports and that's what they're all desperate for is to get the money moving again and look the tennis integrity unit sent a statement out to all the players again this i got from john wertheim's twitter account uh, he said they issued the following update regarding unsanctioned events, which include privately organized exhibition matches, tournaments, and esports events. They say the suspension of professional tennis is an uncertain and challenging time for the community. Although all of the tour events are currently suspended, some privately organized exhibition matches, tournaments, and even esports events will start to take place where and when local government restrictions allow. We understand that these will be attractive opportunities to many of you eager to play and earn an income. While the playing opportunities created are welcomed, we must advise you that there may be an elevated risk of corruption and corrupt approaches in some of these environments. As these events may not be organized or recognized by governing bodies or national associations, it is very important that you understand that anti-corruption rules will still apply to you. Again, anti-corruption rules will still apply. As a tennis player covered by the anti-corruption program, you are reminded that you cannot bet On any tennis event, you must not facilitate or encourage others to bet on any tennis event. That includes but is not limited to conducting personal appearances or participating in events organized by tennis betting companies and the promotion of tennis betting via social media or links to their websites. You cannot be employed or otherwise engaged by a tennis betting company, for example, being sponsored by them, nor can you wear clothing or use equipment displaying logos, graphics, or text related to tennis betting companies. That is fascinating. And obviously, they are trying to maintain the integrity of this sport, but it's something they're concerned about, and that they go this way to remind everyone of the rules. It speaks to how serious uh, these adventure these overtures I suppose are it speaks to it sounds like they're going to have to be exhibition events that's something the ATP and WTAs are certainly wrapping their minds around and they're reminding people hey rules still apply don't mess around now is not the time to be caught doing something stupid like that uh, so, you know, again, that's just another fascinating development, another thing for us to monitor, of course. And then there are a couple of other storylines. Again, home stretch here, I promise. But uh, there is a story about Coco Gauff and the emotional struggles she went through uh, after, you know, having so much success so early as a young professional athlete. And Christopher Clary of The New York Times spoke to Coco Gauff's parents about what their daughter went through. Uh, it's clear, he says, both are clear it wasn't a full-blown depression, but both acknowledge the teen years can be tough and that Coco needed time to fully embrace her talent. Again, I don't want to step on Christopher's interview, uh, his article, so go subscribe to the New York Times. I don't know why you wouldn't. And, you know, go give it a read because supporting journalism now matters more than ever. It's a fascinating look at how difficult it is to be a young success. There was also, you know, Juan Carlos Ferrero throwing flames at Alex Zverev. Now they obviously had work together earlier. They split it up earlier in the year as well. And he didn't hold back. You know, according, you know, for Zverev, he says uh, Ferrero was disrespectful towards members of his team, including his father uh and his coach, you know, Alex Senior. Uh Ferrero Claims otherwise, he says that you know Zverev lacked the necessary discipline to break through sooner at a Grand Slam level. Uh, he says the work ethic as well as his obsession over, over social media is what make things difficult from Ferrero. In order to overcome Federer and Nadal or Djokovic, Zverev and the rest of the guys who come after them must improve off the court. From Food to Fitness, and he said this on the 3 Eye Gualis podcast. He says, I trained Vera for eight months, and I noticed that. He used to go back and forth a lot in the same match, and that's why I think he couldn't win a Grand Slam yet. That irregularity leads him to play the fifth set, Heads or Tails. He goes on to say, you know, earning a lot of money when you are young can get you dizzy. At that time, the player's environment and their role are key factors. They have too many distractions off the court. Phone calls, social network, friends who suddenly appear. I watched them fooling around on Instagram and not thinking about tennis as it was, as it was in our time. Zverev was, for example, three hours on the court, but he could not perform quality training for an hour and a half. There were protests, stops angers distractions at the time we collided due to his lack of punctuality and the lack of respect for the team members even though his father helped me a lot and so he sort of hedged his bet there with that last second but you know that's not holding back that's the that that's shade my friend that is just not encouraging for Zverev not a great look for Juan Carlos Ferrero either although I will point out he asked he was asked a question and answered it candidly and of course we appreciate that but yeah that's that's a brutal takedown. So that was something else I noticed this weekend. Also, another thing and I can't believe this is, you know, at the 40 minute mark and we're just getting to this. Laver Cup announcing they have canceled their 2020 event but we've pushed it back. They're going to stay in Boston for 2021. The announcement event organizers today announced that the Labor Cup will not be held in 2020 but will return to Boston in 2021, a move, preempted, uh, a move prompted excuse me, by changes to the international tennis calendar, which created a scheduling conflict with other major international tennis events. Um, just the subtext for that is, yeah, the French Open moved and went over our date. Yeah, the U.S. Open might have to move. Yeah, all of these professional tournaments, if we're going to have a scheduled play in 2020, which again is still a what if, are going to be in September and later. And do we think anyone's going to take time to play an exhibition in that moment? That the answer might have been maybe, maybe speaks to the power of the Labour Cup, but it's just, it would have been a bad look for everyone involved. So I think this is the right move for the Labour Cup to move things back for another year, let all of these players focus on on their professional events, their professional experiences as well. Uh, So that was, you know, a big decision. Of course, Tony Godsick. they needed to make a decision. We know our passionate fans will be disappointed that they have to wait an extra year for the Labor Cup in Boston, but this is the responsible course of action necessitated by the emergency calendar conflicts. We wanted to call it now to provide certainty for our fans as well as our players, sponsors, broadcasters, partners, staff, volunteers, and of course, the great city of Boston yeah I think this was the right decision, and so you know, for the labor cup moving forward, totally understood by that home stretch though, some good news to end today's podcast so glad and so thrilled to hear you know that Patrick McEnroe and he announced it on Twitter this weekend has no longer uh is now you know the coronavirus is out of his system I guess he is no longer infected with the virus uh, and that's obviously spectacular news so congratulations to Patrick so happy to hear that he and his family are safe I also really enjoyed watching Roger Federer go on his Twitter Ben this week responding to everyone he could with a gif as opposed to a sentence that's pretty funny and of course we're going to get to see Federer on social media again as he plans on joining Rafa today uh, as well as Murray I think is joining Rafa today as Rafa goes live on Instagram. That is sure to be a thrill. We've also got, again, the Mutua Madrid Open. It's a virtual event this year. They have cooler and cooler players signing up at this point in terms of the men signed up for the event. They've got guys like Isner, Fonini, Andy Murray, and Karen Hachinov, Goffin, Nadal, Zverev, Tiafo, Ferrer. For the women, it's Bencic, Kirstea Azarenka, Bouchard, Kanta, um, Ladenevich, Svitolina. And more. That event is turning out to be really cool. So I can't wait to see what it looks like. I also, uh, you know, should say tennis is back, folks. It's alive, and they're all exhibition events. But this weekend we had an exhibition in Russia. I think there were a bunch of different players playing. We also had Evan King and Paolo Lorenzi facing off in a couple of different places. It's a, uh, it's interesting. You know, it's uh, it it's weird that some of these events are back on. And of course, safety, health, the priority. But Tennis is sort of back, and so it's nice to hear that. And by the way, last thing, uh, speaking of tennis being back, if you are still, like me, not ready to consume live but exhibition professional tennis and you are still enjoying your deep dive through history's past – Go check out the show I did with Gil Gross on the Monday match analysis. He and I, like much like a CR Classic, we did a home-and-home. Home. I had him to talk about Rafter Agassi, one Wimbledon semifinal. You can find that uh, CR Classic on YouTube in video form with match highlights weaved in. You can also hear it in podcast forms. I believe that has come out today. If it hasn't, it'll come out later today. But it was really fun to go on Gil's show to talk about the 9 U.S. Open between Del Potro and Federer. 9 such a fascinating series. Season on the ATP tour, really a changing point, one of those years where we saw generations crossing and shifting, and who was taking charge of the tour. It's a really interesting time, and it was a really fun breakdown with Gil, so be sure to go check that out. Again, that's the Monday Match Analysis Show on YouTube, and thank you to Gil for having me this weekend. Uh, But that's it. That's the rundown. Again, it was a busy weekend, so many things to discuss. I wanted to knock them all out on this Monday mini-break podcast. That's why it's coming a little later in the day. I apologize for that. Uh, But we're rocking and rolling on the mini break as we do each and every week. Thrilled to say that my doubles partner, partner in crime, and a man you guys haven't heard from in far too long, Maxwell Labauer-Rothman, should be joining me, I believe, for tomorrow's show, and we're going to have some fun on that one. Not going to give it away, but we've also got Tim Russell scheduled to come on this week to talk about the coronavirus's impact on college sports and how he thinks tennis might be affected. We also talk about his response to the idea that tennis programs should be the first ones on the chopping block. It's a really interesting and fun interview, So be, or it will be, I should say, a really interesting and fun interview, so be on the lookout for that. We've got Currently four cracked interviews in the queue. I'm about to record a fifth one after this. So, you know, guests still rocking and rolling. Be sure to check that out on the Great Shot podcast. I mentioned that 01CR Classic going to come out in podcast form. Also going to have Chris Halliors Orson, Matt Stokoyak on this week to give our All-Americans our ideal lineups and crown our national champions from the 2020 season. That's going to be a fun one, folks. So you don't want to miss any of that. But, of course, if you do... You can find all of our content week in, week out on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Like, rate, subscribe this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, the Cracked Interviews Podcast, and share it with your friends. Make sure you don't miss any of the episodes. And to all of you out there who continue to show us support, we are so grateful for that support. And if you have things to say, comments, criticisms, whatever it may be, you're sick of the Monday monologues, uh, just send me a message at Great Shot Pod or send it to Rackets on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, whichever is your preferred medium shout out as always to these super producers max fligner and daniel westoff for the of an editing job they do day in day out i mean westoff and i it's not even weekends anymore it's just always content time here at cr headquarters and that's half the fun so uh you know we thank you again a huge shout out to them for rocket and rolling um and be on the lookout, by the way, for Overserved as well. I believe Episode 6 comes out later today if it hasn't come out already. So uh, with that in mind, one more shout-out to our our adverti- our advertisers, our sponsors, I should say, who, without their support, these shows don't happen every day. Uh, hey, great shout on the rhyme. Shout-out to DiademSports.com for uh, continuing to support us. If you have any tennis needs, they're the place to go. Use our promo code CR50. You'll get 50% off your order. Shout-out to our friends at Aerobar bar as well use the promo code crack 30 and you'll get the supply of tennis energy bars that you need and you'll get them all 30 off as well but with that being said for super producers daniel westoff and max fliegner for all of us here at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say folks that's the break and we'll see you all tomorrow thanks everyone